Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Galatians 5, starting with verse 16. So the last time we talked about the message was the Bible, your brain, and behavior. And we had a lot of fun, well at least I did, because I'm into the science. Uh, we talked about neurons and neurotransmitters and uh, all kinds of neat stuff. We showed some slides and it just was really a good empowering message uh, to show that we can have that victory. What does science say about the human body and the brain and what does the Bible say? Today we're going to continue in Galatians with the works of the flesh. And the next sermon we're going to be doing the fruit of the Spirit. So you're just going to have to bear with me because kind of like the bad news is today, the works of the flesh. But the next sermon is great because you already have that foundation of what the bad news is. But to show what God can do through you when you're empowered and you believe in Jesus Christ. So I'm really, really looking forward to that message. But the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And we, you know, we become Christians and sometimes people have the idea that, well, I become a Christian, I've crossed the finish line. You know, and again, it's so important when you speak, you know, people have an impression of the speaker, you know, and, and it's sometimes higher than what reality is. And I just want to bring the message down to earth to say that when you become a Christian, sometimes life becomes a little bit more challenging because now you still have your sin nature. You still have the old you, the old flesh, right? The bo this body of death that eventually dies and decays. But there's also God imposes or he superimposes or he fills us with his Holy Spirit, a part of God that actually now resides in us. So now we, with an act of a, the will at any given moment, we're either walking in the Spirit or we're doing the works of the flesh. So as Christians, brothers and sisters, we're going to have this. Some, some walk away dejected because Satan deceives them into believing they shouldn't be in church because I know what you do when you leave the church and all these other people are perfect, and that's just not true. So we're going to go through the works of the flesh, but the good news is there is the fruit of the Spirit, and the more we ask God to fill us with His Holy Spirit, the more we pray, the more we desire to be in His Word and in His will, you will start to see the change in your life. And for those of you that are hard on yourselves, years could pass, and other people will see the change that maybe you don't see, because God is doing a work inside of you. So let's jump in, Galatians 5, starting with verse 16 to 26. We're only going to go through a few verses. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are... Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery. We stopped there. We're going to continue with the rest of them. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies. It's kind of funny, outbursts of wrath. I, always, I take a lot of notes in my Bible, and this was years ago when I went through it the first time. 
Like we're seeing this now in all these YouTube videos. I wrote road rage. <laughs> and people drive in cars and they want to kill each other. Perfect strangers for cutting them off. You know? So this is what's going on. That's definitely not a fruit of the Spirit, just in case you thought that you have the gift of anger or the gift of rage. You know, it's not there. Sorry. We continue. Verse 12. A lot of angry people here, I see. Verse 21. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And now those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, there was a contextual issue in the Galatian church. They really had problems. So we'll go to the contextual issue as well as what you want to know in 2016 in New Jersey. How does this affect me? Now, last Sunday's message and today's Sunday's message are inextricably linked. So get your foundation from last Sunday to really bring out the flavor of what we're talking about this Sunday. Let's look at these next two works of the flesh. These are sins against our brothers and sisters uh, made in God's image. So this number seven, because we covered six, number seven is hatred or enmity. Sometimes there's a reason. I mean, not saying that it's right, but somebody does something to you or hurts you or wounds you deeply and you, know, you have these resentful feelings. Uh, develops into anger, develops into bitterness, develops into hatred. Sometimes it escalates, it gets out of control, and it really could have been, maybe if a third party was to intervene, the thing would be fixed, but it's not. And now you have this, you're entrenched against that person. Sometimes it's no reason. You know, it's in today's, uh, and I, I like to bring the culture into it, in today's culture, you hear a lot about racial this and racial that. And it's interesting because, and this happens on all sides. Now, how are we supposed to respond to this? Well... Years ago, I was at uh, an agency, and I happened to run into a security guard, and the Lord led me to witness to this person to share the gospel. And as we're talking, you know, he's, the really cool thing was he started off kind of in a different camp, but it was really cool. The more we talked, the more he really started to come around and, and be interested by the love of Christ. But I looked down at his notes, and he had a book, and it was very derogatory, towards Caucasian people, okay? Did I call the news? Did I flip out? Did I try to get him fired? No. I was more concerned with his salvation and his soul than me being offended. And brothers and sisters, we have to, like some of you saying, you have to. You're the pastor. I don't have to. But there's times that we have to cross over, cross over the fence. Somebody's got to do it and show the love of Christ because quite frankly, and this goes all around. There's nobody who's immune from this kind of stuff. It's only Jesus Christ that's going to change the heart. I mean, there's a lot of laws against bias and things like that, and they're just laws. People find their way around them. They do it in a fit of rage and then say, I'm sorry, and get themselves a good lawyer. But the only way to change a person from the inside is through Christ, and I've seen it done. And all of us are living examples. Maybe you didn't have this particular work of the flesh, but there was other things that the Lord delivered you from. 
Right. So this is, you know, listen, society is trying to close the door on our evangelism to other people. But we as believers should not be part of that dropping of the so-called Iron Curtain. In some states, evangelists have been arrested in Florida and California, and they have these spurious laws that really um, warn against proselytizing, going out and sharing your faith. But we should not be the ones closing the doors. Jesus spoke about the spiritual darkness that's going to come, where no one can work. We need to work while it's still light, and there still is light. So I just want to encourage you with that. You know, our rights, our, I'm offended. A lot of that stuff, God's like, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to overcome that. You're going to have to move past that because that person, I want, I want them saved, and I want you to do it. We're going to tell God no? Hopefully not. Uh, the eighth one, contentions, quarrel, wrangling, strife. This type of person is always looking for an argument. And sometimes this type of person comes into the church like Yosemite Sam with guns blazing. Who remembers Yosemite Sam? Okay. <laughs> so, and, and it's just, you can see this person coming a mile away. And instead of loving people, they're just always looking for a debate. Uh, maybe even the message. They're always looking to scrutinize it instead of opening their heart. And I have to tell you, in my immaturity as a new believer, I was just interested in amassing knowledge and and winning debates. Uh, and I tell you what, there are some ministries, it's sad that they're always just focused on how smart you can be as a Christian, how you can win debates, how you can be smarter than your opponent. But I remember a sermon years ago on the radio where the preacher said, it was so amazing, it was like for me, he said, so you're, you won the debate, but did you win anybody to Christ? Or did you further turn them off to Christ? <laughs> and, you know, your mindset starts to change when you're convicted by the Holy Spirit and the Word. Now I prefer John chapter 4. I prefer sitting with people one-on-one -on -one and just trying to share the gospel like Jesus did with the woman at the well. You know, it took some time. He had to break down some barriers. There was a fence between, between Christ and this woman that society had built up. He, she was a woman. He was a man. You didn't talk to you know people of the opposite sex in, sex in public he was a, a jewish person she was a samaritan right she was lascivious and he was was holy but christ crossed over that barrier to reach this woman and she becomes a great evangelist in her hometown and that's the goal it's not easy but that's the goal the next have to do with extreme self-centeredness um, you know narcissism selfishness um, it, honestly, it's becoming a cultural epidemic. And there are things that are feeding into it that I'm going to discuss a little bit as well. Number nine, it's jealousy. Jealousies. Now, I'm going to go heavy into synonyms. I'm going to go into uh, etymology. I'm going to go into Greek roots because I really, you know, I went through my, my Greek Bible and, you know, all kinds of things to just really pull out the flavor of what's being said in here because that's what it's all about. This isn't something that was written 2,000 years ago that doesn't pertain to us. It pertains to every one of us. So it's my job to bring out that flavor. So jealousies, okay? Now, there's a lot of overlapping, but there's also distinctions with envy, and envy's going to come up as well. Let's look at jealousies. One way to describe it is emulations. To equal or excel a person that you're jealous of. Uh, another one of the understandings is fervid, hot, resentment. And jealousy can go one of two ways. You can 
desire something that somebody else has, or you can fear that another person will take what you have. <laughs> Usually we see this in boyfriend, girlfriend. You know, he's stealing my girlfriend, or she's stealing my boyfriend, and it's this jealousy. And, and you know what it's a root of? I love roots. You know, I love to find behaviorally what the roots are in some of these things, and the root is insecurity. If you're that worried about your boyfriend or girlfriend cheating, then probably it's time for you to move on and find somebody better. You know, instead of, because jealousy can make you crazy. You see somebody who's extremely jealous, they commit crimes, they lose their minds. I mean, and it just, it's just a, a sad thing to watch. Jealousy's terrible. Jealousy has, um, you can see how it, it's a root as well in the destruction of the commandments that deal with people to people. In other words, jealousy can cause murder, right? To, uh, bearing false witness. You're jealous of that person, you have to destroy their reputation. Theft. They have something that you want, you're, you're, you know, so you steal because you're whatever. And, and you go through all these covetousness, etc. It's amazing, isn't it, when you start to really look at this. Um, I think the worst things I've seen in church in my years as a pastor, which isn't a whole lot, but is Christians who are jealous. And it's, it's an obvious jealousy. And I tell you what, it's called the green-eyed monster for a reason. None of us wear jealousy well. It's very unattractive as a garment. So, it's weird. In social media, some people do things to try to make others jealous of their life, and it's maybe not truly reflective of who they are. But, you know, we live in our own little fiefdoms in social media, and we portray these perfect pictures of our lives, and it's weird. First of all, it may not necessarily be true, and second of all, it could cause others to become jealous. Number 10, outbursts of wrath, literally fierceness, as if breathing hard. This is a major lack of self-control, whether it be physically or verbally. You know, <laughs> listen, back in the day, I didn't really have a dial-down button. You know, <laughs> the, the, this kind of stuff would, would just... And, you know, you've noticed, I mean, maybe some of you haven't, but if you ever get extremely angry, it can get out of control fast. And then you look back and say, ah, oh, you, you regret it. So, you know, now I have a dial-down button. Uh, and sometimes I ask myself, this person's really pushing my buttons. If I pummel this person, how is God glorified? And the answer is always the same. He won't be, don't do it. So there's no such thing as the pummeling ministry. So we, so we, we have to dial it down because oh, a lot of angry people out here I see this morning. Hey, we live in New Jersey. This is how we roll. But, you know, it, I get it. There's a cultural issue, but that's not ex an excuse for our behavior. <laughs> you know, and we live in a society as well of blame shifting. It's always somebody else's fault. Honestly, as Christians, we can't do that. I'd love to blame uh, like 10 different people. I'd love to blame you for my problems. You know what I'm saying? But I can't do that. I know too much of the scripture to be able to blame shift. Uh, 11, selfish ambition. Look at our culture. Isn't everybody looking out for number one? And don't you know Christians who are always looking out for number one? It's just about, it's all about them. Selfish ambition. Ambition is good if you're maybe in a field where you want to excel, but this is a selfish ambition. This is just, it's all about me. Everything in life is about me. I use people, I use this, just to get what I need. And the synonym, synonym there is also strife. Um, and listen, you again, talking about not only is there social media, but there's now gossip sites on the internet where you can destroy someone's reputation 
uh, to who you feel threatened by. Uh, and you look at some of the roots of these, and they're ridiculous. You know, two people are going for a promotion. Uh, one person tries to destroy the other. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad. Uh, pastor Randy Cahill from Massachusetts, a Calvary Chapel pastor up there, taught uh, a message, a sermon on selfish ambition, ambition. And uh, again, some have come into this church, and it's like they're all ready to take over. It's like, this is just a church. It's not a Fortune 500 company. There's not a lot you're going to get out of this place. But it's this selfish ambition, you know? Some, God has given them a humble ministry, maybe a, a humble ministry of evangelism, but it's not good enough. They, they don't see themselves big enough, so they, they move and they put God's gift aside. Again, this is in Christianity, and they move to something else where they can be elevated. Everybody can look at them. They can become a celebrity. It's selfish ambition. You know, I, I, I kind of laugh because I went, you know, I, I went into ministry and I thought, Maybe one day I'll be someone's associate pastor because I get things, you know, I like to get things done. I'm that type of person. I never wanted to be the guy where the buck stopped with me, never. And maybe it did, probably would, didn't have good motives, but it's so funny. Uh, Bill in our children's ministry, uh, the kids love him. They call him Mr. Bill. He and his wife and daughter serve. He says, I, I never saw myself leading the children's ministry. Pastor Paul, who does a lovely job up here, he had other ideas, and it's, so, it's kind of funny how God does things in the reverse. Well, you don't want this? That's good. You're, you're, you're in a good place. Now I'm going to give it to you, but I didn't want it. But I'm God, you know. Then you have these discussions with the Lord. And then others who want it so bad because, and sometimes God lets them get it, and, and they, they, they crash and burn. I've seen that over the years. Um, just, be, just be thankful for what we have and what God has given us. Twelve, dissensions. Also, sedition, disunion, division. What the Apostle Paul, Jesus, and the Apostles tried to unite, this, these people are constantly trying to divide. And we see that in politics, um, party politics. It's so sad. You know, these candidates, you know, I want to I help your group, and I'm going to treat you special. But then, then when he's alone with your group, they want to treat you special. And, and your group, instead of saying, you know what, we're all Americans... What can I do to benefit all Americans? It's this constant division. And then the one group says, well, you got something more than we got, and we're upset. And there's this, this party spirit, so to speak. Um, and it, it's, it's horrible. You know, I, I look at this spirit that actually came into the, the, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul rebuked the Christians because they, they had this party mentality. And you can see it today, you know, and if you're in a church and so people are from different political parties and they're, they're always, they come to church to argue with each other. I mean, that's a party spirit. We're supposed to be uh, uniting and, and equal under the Lord, not trying to find things that divide us. Uh, so I try not to be really dogmatic on things that don't matter. But in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said, you know, you Corinthians, this group is following Peter, this group's following me, this group's following Apollos. Did any of us die for your sins? You know, um, you got to follow Jesus. So that's important. Thankfully, in this church, we have those that are self-proclaimed Wesleyans, Baptists, Calvary Chapel, Reformed. Uh, some go to the Catholic Church at times. And we all come together and we're united under God's Word. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And we should be getting along that way. Now, I do want to digress for a moment because I want to read a scripture 
to be the, the cherry on top, but I do also want to read bits and pieces of an article. And, uh, you know, this guy's very controversial because he just says it like it is. Uh, and he really has a problem with the culture that we're in. And he's not afraid to talk about it, Dr. Keith Ablo. And the title is, We Are Raising a Generation of Deluded Narcissists. I want to read a little bit of the article. He actually um, speaks about another psychologist, Jean Twenge, who also talks about some studies that she's done. And I just want to say this. It speaks a lot about young people. I see it in my age group. So this doesn't just stop with the youth. This is unfortunately a, a cultural ep epidemic. But he goes on and he speaks about the toxic, and you have it in your bulletin. You can uh, scan it and read the whole thing on your own. But he speaks about the toxic psychological impact of media and technology on children, adolescents, and young adults, particularly as it regards turning them into faux celebrities, the equivalent of lead actors in their own fictionalized life stories. Uh, young people can fool themselves into thinking they have hundreds or thousands of friends. They can delete unflattering comments. They can block anyone who disagrees with them. Man, you've seen this. Some of you might have done it or pokes holes in their inflated self-esteem. They can choose to show the world only flattering, sexy, or funny photographs of themselves. Using computer games, our sons and daughters can pretend that they're Olympians, Formula One drivers, rock stars, or sharpshooters. After their hearts have raced and heads have swelled with false pride for being something that they are not. All the while, these adolescents, teens, and young adults are watching a Congress, and they, they just, he goes everywhere with this, and I love it, that can't control its manic, euphoric, narcissistic spending. A president that can't see his way through to applaud genuine and extraordinary achievements in business. A society that blames mass killings on guns, not the psychotic people who wield them. Distractions, however, are temporary, and the truth is eternal. Watch for an epidemic of depression, and suicidality, not to mention homicidality, as the real self-loathing and hatred of others that lies beneath all this narcissism rises to the surface. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? We have to be a little bit more Teflon when it comes to this so that we could be the ones when you meet your coworker or your friend or your family member who's really struggling, they can see you as the face of balance after they've been used and abused by the society, and they come to you and say, hey, and I, I hear this every Sunday. Some of you have asked me to pray for you. Some of you have brought people to church. Um, it's a wonderful thing to watch, but it's so true. Uh, let's see, one more. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. You know, I can't be one of those pastors that comes up here and says, everything's roses, life is, is lovely, you know, your culture's fine. We, some of us have to be telling the truth and, and heralding uh, the things that are, are really hurting our society and our kids. So 2 Timothy 3. <laughs> it's under the coming of apostasy. Now, have these things, these things been around for a long time? Yes, they have. But think about our culture. Think about what you're seeing on YouTube. Think about what your friends are into. Think about what's, you know, what's going on in politics. So let's look at this. He says, but know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, 
unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal. A lot of these videos that are coming out that you see on the news of these, um, you know, it's, it's whatever, maybe I'm too old-fashioned, but uh, when, a, when a pack of young girls beat the snot out of another girl, and it's like, oh my goodness, it's, it's a hard thing to, to watch. It's brutal. There's no compassion, no feeling. Despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, the Western epidemic, I added that. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, that's really intriguing because, well, we know America's a Christian nation, isn't it? That's what everybody says. Really? How many Americans are really walking with the Lord? American Christians. You know, having a form of godliness. You, you go to the Bible Belt. You could go down the street and there's crosses everywhere. There's bookstores and you could buy Bibles freely. Jesus Christ is everywhere in this culture except in a lot of people's hearts. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Think about that. If all of a sudden the tables turned and we were to be under heavy persecution like many other nations are, would we still be quick to say that? Because now it could mean your life. And a lot of our brothers and sisters are dealing with that. We continue. Number 13, heresies. Teaching, uh, propagating false teaching about God and His Word under the guise of being a worshiper of God. And this causes rifts in the church and I say the aggregate church because some people follow these heretical teachings and then the other ones who really know their Bibles are like, I'm not following that. So now what you have is a split. Now, when I went for my, <laughs> sometimes I wonder why I go for all these surgeries and you know, why this happens. And I really know because I'm always going to try to be faithful to witness to the doctors and the hospital staff. And I went for my post-op for my foot and my foot is healing awesome. And uh, so the doctor looks at my foot, and he walks out, and the, the tech, she's a young girl in her 20s, and we start talking about something, and I end up giving her like a five-minute sermon. And I said, she goes, you know, and she knows I'm a pastor, she goes, you know, I've never been to a church. Girl's in her 20s. I'm like, really? She goes, yeah. I said, well, you just got a sermon. She goes, that was pretty good. Maybe I'll stop by one of these Sundays. But... I said, I bet, you know, because I always love to talk to people. I want to know where they're at. I want to know what they're thinking. I want to know what makes them tick. So I said to her, yeah, you probably see the weird stuff on TV. The media always finds these weird little splinter groups of Christians and say, this is Christianity. She goes, yeah. I said, yeah, well, you know, there are those of us that really believe in Christ and believe, you know, in God's word, and we don't act like that. I said, but the media loves to do that. I am very anti our current media, because I really think that they have an agenda. And one of them is to just destroy Christianity because it's in the way of their agenda. So we had a lovely conversation, and uh, I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> oh, heresies. And there's just a lot of heretical stuff out there. Um, bad behavior, being in the flesh, gives birth to poor doctrine and vice versa. Being in the spirit leads to uh, God opening doors to a better understanding of his word. And no false teacher is good, no matter how much they smile and make you think by their, their appearance that they're good. 
heresy also has a root in selfishness. And again, it's kind of weird when what people do is they're in the world and then they start going to a church or maybe they have a conversion and there's a temptation to do what they did in the world now in the church. Let me, let me be ambitious. Let me rise to the top. What a heretic will do is it's an easy way to make yourself a little God. It's an easy way to get a following because all you do is you, you tell the people, you know, Christianity, Joseph Smith did this, Charles Taze Russell, all these cult leaders. You tell the people Christianity is all apostate. Follow me and I will tell you the right way. Well, you got so many of these people. How do you know which one to follow? How do you know which one's the true one? But this is what happens and you can develop your own little following. And it's really quite sad if you think about it. You know, maybe on a smaller scale and, you know, just to be kind of cute on this, but on a smaller scale, maybe some of you have that one friend that's always quoting a scripture out of context to stay relevant. And, and that's what you have to do, you know. I mean, I look at me personally, there's been 2,000 years of Christianity. There's been great preachers, great teachers. It's not like we're living in the first century. Honestly, I don't have, except for what the Holy Spirit gives me, I'm not going to divert from this to become relevant and get this mega ministry. It's not, I'm not concerned about that. Um, we shouldn't either. But a work of the flesh... Uh, heresy is because it feeds the ego need in a person, you know, and many of many false teachers have realized there's actually millions of dollars to be made off the back of Jesus Christ. You, you f if you fail in the world, you can get into, if you're a good talker, you can come into the Christian realm and now make yourself a fortune, uh, and it's pretty sad, but the next two have to do with extremes in behavior or action, so envy, we told you we were going to get to this, Envy is an ill will, or a, think about this, a seething obsession as a result of jealousy with a root of covetousness. Seething obsession. A person who's envious, who's jealous, they almost become uh, obsessed, as in a stalker way, in their mind with a person that they're trying to defeat or they're competing with. It's just bizarre. It's very strange. Um, honestly, we need to be content with what the Lord gave us. Envy implies that God plays favorites. And I have to write that wrong now because I'm not getting my share. Hey, whatever piece of the pie we got, let's enjoy it. Let's use it to its fullest and glorify God with it. I just want to divert just for a moment with jealousy and envy. And I've seen this with leaders and all kinds of leaders, with business owners, with people in the world who are high in authority. And they have a subordinate who's extremely talented and it threatens them. Remember, there's a root of insecurity and they try to destroy them. My attitude, <laughs> a lot of heads are shaking. I've got good eyes up here. It's like the lighting's very good. But the truth is that to me, I feel, I'm the senior pastor here. I love, and I'm looking at them, I'm looking at the people in this church. You guys do awesome work. Children's ministry, bravo. The ushers, the info people, the pastors, the elders, their wives. You guys are the bomb, man. I mean, I am so blessed. Even the guys in the sound booth. Somebody asked me recently, we want to get married here, and I explained to them the procedure, and we have to make it on a date where somebody who knows how to turn on the on button in that booth. I don't even know where the on button is, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I look in that thing, and there's all these knobs and switches, and it reminds me of the bridge of the Starship Enterprise, you know what I'm saying? And these guys, they make me sound good, my voice is big, and there's lighting, and they're, they're amazing. They can cut and paste when I say something dumb and it has to be edited out of the message. Um, you know, 
it's a wonderful thing. And, and sadly, you and I have all seen your boss or your leader or your highest CEO, whatever, they're so, if they didn't come up with the, the idea, it bothers them. Or if you came up with the idea, they'll steal your idea because of jealousy and envy. We don't, none of us have all the gifts. So I just want to encourage you, if you get into that position, remember what I said. Use that person, and I don't mean in a bad way, to, to just bless the organization. That's the way to go, you know? So we continue. 15, murders. Most of us have not committed this outright. And if you have, keep it to yourself. <laughs> but most of us have committed this in our hearts. Again, I'm hearing laughs, you know? But the bottom line is, Jesus, it's amazing, because I hear this all the time. You, you witness to somebody, and they're like, well, I never killed anybody. Why does everybody go there first? It's like, and some people who have killed have repented and, and gone on to, to glory, and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, so it's this thing that we have as a society, but Jesus in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount basically let us know that if we commit it in our hearts, we've still done it. It's still a sin. It's still a work of the flesh. So, you know, we've got to look at this list. The next two have to do with a lack of self-control. Number 16, drunkenness. It's not a politically correct term. I'll use myself as an example. All right? For many years, I drank. I started as a, a young teenager. Um, I'm not an alcoholic. It doesn't have any effect on me now. I didn't have a disease. The truth is, I wanted to do it. And when I wasn't saved, and when I was doing all that stuff, I'm just speaking for me, not anybody else, you couldn't tell me what I was doing was wrong. I was fine with it. Um, now today, and, and again, we talked about roots last Sunday, is why I encourage you to get the message from last Sunday, that sometimes we talked about with addictions, when you can treat the root of the addiction, some people get well pretty quickly because they're using the substance to just almost fog their brain. I don't want to think about that. I don't want that to come up. It could be PTSD. It could be uh, some type of trauma. And I'll tell you what, there is something to be said for behaviorism and for helping people in counseling because maybe it takes another person for you to figure out what the root is and then the other problem, you know, is just a, a symptom of the root cause. You see what I'm saying? For me, there was a root and that's a blessing. Um, it's not an issue anymore. So that, that's, and I got to tell you though, for years later, because of my behavior, I, I was saddened by my life and as a Christian I'm reevaluating myself and there's a lot of people I had to apologize to there's a lot of relationships that I ruined a lot of people that I hurt so God doesn't tell us these things to condemn us he tells us to help us you know what I'm saying and you know this if you've been involved with it or you know somebody who has it, it destroys lives it destroys families marriages you know we got to look at this uh, 17 revelries riot letting loose carousal it's taking any vice to the, to the max, to the extreme, because it's a complete lack, lack of self-control, right? Self-control, when we control ourselves, it shows a love for others. When we don't control ourselves, it shows a disregard for others. It's just about how I feel at the moment. You know, some people, that it, whatever urge comes their way in their mind, they act on it. Well, animals do the same thing. We're supposed to be somewhat separated from the animal kingdom, Okay, um, but this is just a complete lack of concern for anyone else but ourselves. And you see some overlap 
in a lot of these things. But the fruit of the Spirit, love. We're going to talk about love, joy. I mean, who doesn't want this stuff? Uh, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, and the last one, self-control. What a blessing. And it continues, and it says, and those who practice, that's important. Oh, I committed this. I'm gonna com- I, I committed this last Sunday after church. I'm going to hell. No, it doesn't mean that. It says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Yikes. See, we live in a fallen world. We still have these fallen bodies. And you can call it a predisposition, a predilection, or whatever you want to call it, to some type of sin or work of the flesh. And what is sin? Sin is missing the mark. Sin is a falling short of the glory of God. You know, bad education in, in, in church can really twist people's minds. This is supposed to give us encouragement. You know, in any given moment, we're either in the flesh or in the spirit. And the best of the best Christians are sometimes in the flesh and sometimes commit one of these works of the flesh, either outright or in their, in their minds. You know, I'm just going to be honest with you. Practice versus struggle. Am I struggling to keep this under control? Am I trying to have the Lord help me? Am I trying for, because God's convicting me, to, I'm struggling. Or is it, I love the lifestyle. You have a problem then if you love the lifestyle because then there's, you know, is there any fruit of the Spirit or is it just constantly work of the flesh? But I will say this, pride is a sin and somehow church, church doing church has gotten to the point where we have acceptable sins and we have unacceptable sins and that's wrong. Well, the acceptable sins can be pride and we can go through church being proud, being proud and haughty people and think, well, I dress well, and I tithe, and I serve, and I'm fine. No, 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 that's still a sin. There is no difference. Sin is sin between unacceptable and acceptable. They're all unacceptable, and that's why we need a Savior. It's that simple. It's that simple. Sometimes I'd rather deal with a struggling person who knows that they're struggling and knows that they're sinners than a person in the church who's like super prideful and you know none of the message get through to them. It's always for their spouse or their kids or, oh, I wish so-and-so was here this Sunday. They needed to hear this. No, we need to hear this. This is introspective. I read this and I don't say, gee, look at these. I hope James paying attention over there because this could be him. No, I read it and I say, sorry, James. Uh, You're sitting in the front, bro. Notice the front pews are empty. (laughs) There's plenty of room up here, folks. But the bottom line is that this is introspection. I read this as the pastor for myself. You read it for yourself. I don't read this for my wife. I read this for me. That's the right way to follow this. Otherwise, there's something wrong with us. Maybe narcissism is at play or or selfishness. We have to read it for ourselves. So these are the works of the flesh. Here they are. These behaviors are what? Two things. They're a mirror. We read this and we look at ourselves and go, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you what they are out loud, but I'm going to tell you which ones Well, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) It's a mirror. I read this and I go, oh, that stung. Ouch, that one hurt. That's for me. It's a mirror. What they also are is a compass to tell us which spiritual direction we're in. You know, the Galatian church was a mess. Paul had to get them back on track. He had to get them re-educated, understanding this is a work of the flesh and this is the fruit of the spirit. And on any given moment, we're either in the flesh or we're in the spirit. And we'll talk the difference between what a work is and what a fruit is. And that's going to be for the next time. So I pray that you'll join me 
for the good news now that we got through the difficult things. But heck, this is something we can take home and say, you know what, Lord, help me work on this. I don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt people that I love anymore. I, I, need your, I need you. I need to open up my heart. I need you to come into my life. And I need it more. I need to lay down my will in this situation. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.